Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Sanctimonious. This is Jake, and joined as always by my co-host Dan. What's up, Jake? How you doing? Doing pretty good. Just finished a nice little four hours in the car, coming back to St. Louis from the Kansas City area. So had a lot of time to think uh, and, and process KeyForge. Of course, that's how I spent that drive. <laughs> nice. What's your What's your inspiration? Start your inspiration then. I was thinking on the drive what to talk about for my inspiration. <laughs> And this has actually been the first week since we've recorded this podcast where, because I was back home doing family stuff, I brought a couple of decks with me, but I did not get a chance to actually play any Keyforge. So I, yeah, so I was thinking like, what the heck am I going to talk about when then it hit me since this game came out, the release way back, I think in December, I was at a release event. And I think this is the first week that I didn't play a game of Keyforge, which is pretty remarkable for me in my you know gaming habits up till that point. I mean, this is the first game that's really hooked me in that way since you know being a little kid playing Magic tournaments every week. And yeah, so I mean, I guess that's my inspiration is just even though I can be I think out of the two of us, I might be a little bit more critical at times about aspects of the game. Um, so that despite the flaws of Keyforge, I mean, it just really is a remarkable game that has, you know, totally uh, absorbed my intention. And uh, even as I sit here now, uh, after you know a pretty long drive, a little tired, I'm still kind of debating maybe hitting up a chain bound tonight. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Hit those chain bounds while you can. So jealous. Yeah. All right. Good. Inspired by being inspired by the game. I can buy that. All right. Uh, yeah. So my inspiration. <sighs> so we did our card evaluation last time, and Jake said that Untamed was awful. So unlike Jake, not playing any games, I played a lot of games in the last week. Um, I've taught a lot of people how to play on Tabletop Simulator, which has been great because that just increases the pool of people I have to pull from to actually jam some AOA games. And yeah, Untamed's awful. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I mean, there are lineups where it's good. I've got Awe deck, but I really just wanted that deck to have that lineup for Independent Seed to finish off the Martian Generosity Key Abduction combo. Um, and it's proving okay. Um, I'm going to stand firm by Grovekeeper is actually a good card as long as you don't surround it by untamed creatures. <laughs> it's done some work um, making my Brobnar guys even bigger and setting up my Brobnar um, ganger combo, which is really fun. Brobnar drummer ganger combo. So yeah, Grovekeeper I th- still thinks okay. But yeah, Untamed is kind of awful. I played a game where I archived my entire Untamed house and had no desire to ever pull it out of archives. It was so weird. I think I had nine of the 12 Untamed cards in my archive, and I was just fine leaving them there and playing with my other two houses. So, yep, good call, Jake. They're they're not awesome. They, they make you feel bad. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're coming away to my 
way of thinking, but also disappointed that it's mirroring my experience of the that house just being very subpar. It just feels so bad when you're playing them. It's just like you, you play the cards because you have to get them out of your hand, but you don't feel good about playing them and you don't really want to call it again. Um, I'm still standing firm on Fang House. And then Amber Spine Mongrel is actually really, really good. That card is amazing. So if you are lucky enough to have a couple of those in your deck, that is a super annoying creature to have to deal with, especially if you have Glimmer and Regrowth to keep bringing it back. That is the best kind of repate, where if your opponent reaps, you gain Amber too. So it just it works even better than stunning their creatures because sometimes reaping and stunning is fine, but reaping and giving your opponent Amber, not awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just strictly better, right? And just so we're clear, that's, is that a three-power elusive creature? So Amberspine Mondrel is a three-power hazardous three creature. Oh, yep. that's what it is. Yep, that hazardous three is real, because you can't just remove it yeah. with a three-power creature. You need at least a four-power creature to get rid of it. So yeah, there's a couple good ones. And then the last part of my inspiration will take us right into the main topic. Our Discord has been on fire this week. Oh my goodness, One Star Squire, let's hear, that's his name in our Discord, has been killing it with the stats. Same with Lady Caffeina in our Discord. She's also Coffee Saga on other Discord Keyforge servers. These two have been building their own stats and sheets and everything from the uh, vault tours that have happened thus far. And it's led to some like really interesting discussions in the, uh, in the old Sanctimonious Discord where we've been kind of reevaluating our collections and just kind of seeing what decks based on vault tour top 16 decks kind of like which one of our decks kind of actually stack up and which ones were kind of surprised like maybe we hadn't spent as much time playing a deck because we didn't think it was that good but i mean you should never go strictly based on stats but it's just kind of interesting it kind of gives you a new appreciation for some decks and maybe trying them back out again and yeah, that's going to be our main topic. We're actually going to talk about kind of the, the we're going to stick with Archon top 16 deck list and just kind of some of the scores to look for from the uh, top 16. Um, but for now, yeah, let's move on to the main topic. All right, so our main topic, like we said, we're going to be kind of looking at what makes a top 16 deck list, what kind of stats kind of are kind of common throughout all the decks that make it into the top 16. You'd kind of think there'd be a, a bit of a variance, but after looking at the numbers, they all pretty, pretty much hold true to the same kind of, I don't know, the same kind of numbers. It was really, really interesting. So before we jump into the numbers, uh, why don't we, in case people aren't familiar uh, with the type of stats we're talking about, can we give them a little quick primer on where these numbers are coming from and how they can see them about their own deck? Yep, so you read my mind. So we're going to be referencing decks of Keyforge. Um, that's what we pulled all of the stats from. Um, yeah, we, we, we like decks of Keyforge. The stats rating is pretty solid, um, but the one that we really like is the arc rating. The arc rating really seems to do a good job of kind of highlighting decks' strengths and weaknesses and just kind of giving you a good idea to glance about what a deck can do. I mean, as is the case with all decks, you actually need to play it to figure it out. Some of the rating, like the ratings aren't like block sock. This is exactly what the ratings are. There's definitely cards and deck lists that make them function differently. But for the means of comparing that many decks, we use that as the baseline. And the one we're really going to focus on is the arc. So the arc um, is the four letters, A-E-R-C, 
So A is Amber Control. It represents the amount of Amber that deck can deny your opponent for forging keys. Lost and Stolen Amber is counted at a 1 to 1 ratio, while Captured Amber and Increased Key Cost is counted at a 2 to 1 ratio, as those can be reclaimed or avoided. Expected Amber. This rating is an approximation of how much Amber you can expect a card to generate. It does not take the ability of creatures to reap into, con into account unless they are special skill that will usually generate extra Amber like a Dew Fairy. Um, some cards that are difficult to play have their base amber reduced, and some cards that immediately allow the use of creatures have amber added on the assumption creatures will be used to reap. Um, and we found that these are the two biggest ratings to really be cognizant of, but we will uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more here in a second. Um, artifact control is the R. Um, is artifact control is increased by cards that destroy enemy artifacts or deny your opponent use of them. Um, destroying the artifact is worth 1.5 points. Using an enemy artifact is one point and delaying artifacts is a half a point. Uh, creature control is C. Creature control is increased by cards that damage, destroy, or disable enemy creatures. Special abilities that encourage using a creature to fight contribute extra depending on the ability. One point is approximately equal to destroying one three power creature or stunning two creatures. And the D, so this one's not actually in the AARC, but it factors in deck manipulation. Deck manipulation is increased by effects that allow you to play extra cards or reduce the number your opponent can play. It is reduced by cards that prevent you from playing or drawing cards, like cards that give chains or bad penny. So bad. One point is approximately equal to drawing two cards, archiving a random card, or preventing your opponent from drawing two cards. And finally, effective power of P. So while raw total creature power in a deck is a useful statistic, it has many flaws that effective creature power is made to address. For example, there are many powerful creatures with significant downsides like Cleafy Dragon or Gromid. These creatures have had their effective power reduced. Quick question. So when you say AERC, and I'm not doing this just for the cast, I'm actually much <laughs> less versed on this stuff than you and some other people. So, so it's called AERC, but it's actually six stats, and the total AERC score is all six of those stats added together. So yeah, essentially. So calculate to calculate the arc scores, divide effective power by 10, rounding to the nearest half a point, then add that with the other arc scores. The arc score represents how good a deck is the core mechanics of the game, generating controlling amber, controlling artifacts, controlling creatures, drawing cards, and building a board of creatures. It doesn't directly represent how good a deck is. But yeah, I think this one, like, so the arc can really be kind of compared to, I think, the consistency rating from ADHD, but this one just breaks it out into numbers that, I don't know, we just, we've been using this one, so this is the one we're going to go with. To make this abundantly clear, because I know we have uh, many longtime listeners, experienced players, but also new listeners every week, if you want to find out this information about your deck, you can go to decksofkeyforge.com, and then there is an import deck function where you just copy and paste the link for that deck from... The, the official Keyforge game site, or if you've registered it, you can just search for it by name. Yep. So if you've had it registered in the Master Vault for a while, it should already be on there because he pulls that in that information in regularly. If you've just scanned one in just now, then you have to import it off of the Master Vault, or you just have to wait a day or two for it to actually just show up. It's pretty simple. Um, I like to keep my collection there. It's nice and sortable and sellable from there. <laughs> So let's jump into those numbers. Yeah, so let's start with the baseline. So Lady Caffeina was so kind to run the average stats across all decks that have been registered. 
in the history of Keyforce. So not just Vault Tour decks, but this is decks in general, overarching all, all decks registered on the Master Vault. So your average Coda deck has an Amber Control rating of 7, which is pretty good. That means most of the time you're able to pull your opponent off check. Uh, expected Amber of 19, which is a very solid number, means they're uh, generating Amber pretty quickly. Artifact Control of 1, a Creature Control of 11, a Deck Manipulation of 6, and Effective Power of 7. So that would mean 70 power worth of creatures in the decks. Um, in comparison, uh, AOA decks, and we do realize the numbers are not equal in this comparison at all because of, I think there's what, like 150,000 or so decks being registered for AOA, and there's like 800, 900,000 registered for CODA. So these numbers could change, but right now Amber Control is one point less at six. Uh, expected Amber is one point less at 18. Artifact Control is um, consistent at 1. Uh, creature Control is consistent at 11. Deck Manipulation is a point higher with 7, which we've kind of highlighted that Logos and just different ways of cycling through your deck is much stronger in AOA. And Effective Power stays at 7 as well. That's really interesting. Yeah, so we're going to put a caveat on this too because, again, AOA is still super new and... Um, Coda went through many revisions to get to the point that it's at for its rating system. And I feel there's many revisions that come from AOA, but right now, I mean, it shows you that relatively they're about the same, just from a pure looking at all the decks clumped together standpoint. And when you say revisions, you're talking about actual change to the way the code or whatever yeah. evaluates cards. I mean, we have 150,000 AOA decks. I would expect that would give us a pretty solid baseline for the set, um, but it's more so as players get better and we start to understand combos more and how good or uh, not effective cards are, you'd actually change. Okay, so this card is actually worth 1.5 Amber Control when we had it as one or something along those lines. Yep. And then like the thing there is like Amber Control and AOA is different. It is definitely not the same as Amber Control in Coda. And so I think like Amber Control is definitely a stat that's probably going to change as we start to assign the correct values to things like Proclamation 346E and Grunt Buggy and that kind of thing. But those are just tough cards to really evaluate because both of those depend on board state. And so it's really hard to kind of drill down to what that number is. But I feel like some of those cards kind of like that will affect things. And just like Amber's Mind Mongrel that we talked about earlier too is an amber control card, and I'm not exactly sure what it's rating as right now because it really de-incentivizes your opponent from reaping, which is kind of a different kind of amber control. So yeah, now that we kind of have that baseline, we want to look at a very small picture of the average top 16 at the Italy Vault Tour. So this is the first Archon event to include Coda and AOA. In the top 16, me and Jake both grossly overestimated how many decks were going to be there, <laughs> and there ended up being two uh, two AOA decks in the top 16. One was a MGKANS, otherwise known as Martian Generosity Key Abduction Nepenthe deck, which that makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> and then the other one was a, I think it was a Proclamation 346E Grunt Buggy deck. So those are the two AOA decks to come out on top and make it to the top 16. Otherwise, the rest were Coda. And that's not super surprising since the 
they always said is so new. Just people have so much more comfort and practice with their codedex. We did have one sanctimonious Discordian correctly predict two AOA decks, and that was <laughs> Russell Rufino. So here is your well-deserved shout-out and congratulations. Smug smile as you're listening to this right now. But anyway, so the uh, the numbers here, so Amber Control of 12, so significantly higher than the average Amber in uh, all decks. So 12 is double what it, what the average AOA deck has right now. And then the Coda, it's like five over that. So 12 is a big number on Amber Control. So Amber Control is important, and you want a lot of it, apparently. Uh, expected Amber, 25. Again, significantly higher than what the average deck has. Um, 25 is a fast deck. Like 25 um, expected Amber just means that if you play through your deck once, you've probably generated about 24, 25 Amber. So like that's almost, well, no, that is more than you need to win a game, right? Yeah. That's exactly how much you need to win a game. 18. Yeah. So just by playing cards, you're gaining amber, and you're making your way towards keys. So expected amber, 25, big number. Artifact control, half. Half point. One of the things we noticed when we were comparing this to previous Archon events is the library access nerf worked. Since lands isn't being brought, people aren't as afraid of artifacts. But perhaps after the 346E and Grump Buggy deck did so well, maybe we'll see that number go back up again to try to shut those out. Let's not misrepresent this. So that doesn't mean that people were less scared and brought less. That just means out of the decks that did make the top 16, there happened to be less artifact control there. Sure. Right. We don't know. We don't know about the entire field. I didn't pull the info, but there was again. She had a number. Lady Caffeina had a number for how many bait and switches were in decks versus how many library accesses, and how that number changed from the last Archon event before the nerf, and it was quite a difference. It's right here. So there were two library access in the top sixteen in Italy. Oh, there we go. And there were nine copies of bait and switch, whereas. In the Denver, Schomburg, and Eindhoven, Eindhoven vault tours, all of those had five copies of library access in the top 16. So that's a significant drop-off where they had 13, 4, and 8 copies of bait and switch, respectively. So uh, it's actually had more copies in Italy than in two of the previous vault yeah, tours. Yeah, for bait and switch. So bait and switch is still alive. Shadow Steel is still good. Bringing your opponent from seven to five and gaining yourself two is still a strong play, um, but yeah, it's it's not quite the play it used to be when you could uh, you know go back into check after forging your key and bait and switching somebody. But yeah, so that's that's like the big numbers. The SAS rating for the average deck that made it. So this would be the card quality plus synergy plus or minus synergy. The uh, average deck that top sixteen of Tour Italy was an eighty-eight rated deck. So that was the average, but the range goes from 81 to 103 rated. So that is another a separate type of rating system that is also uh, depicted for you when you register your deck at Decks of Keyforge. Um, and that's one just out of my personal experience when I was tracking all my plays. Um, that did not have nearly as much bearing upon how I personally evaluated deck and how it performed than did the AERC. So I think, I mean, it might be good to give you an overall sense of card quality, but devoid of that context of how those cards, 
you know, are interacting with the different facets of the game that you get in ARC, it's a, it's a little bit less telling of the deck overall. Yeah, no, those numbers, like the card quality reading is pretty solid. I I think they've gotten into a good spot with Coda on that one. But as far as like AOA, again, it's super early. We're still trying to figure out what cards really are good and are not good. And that's going to keep fluctuating the AOA decks. But pretty much the thing we saw out of our Discord was that kind of seems like minimum of 80 for a Vault Tour deck. I mean, there's only one that was 81, but there's like there's a couple 85s. Like you do not have to have this like crazy like 90, 100 SAS deck in order to day two a Vault Tour. Um, you know, and a lot of these like 80s, mid 80s decks can be had for pretty good prices if you know what you're looking for and uh, are looking for a deck that kind of fits the parameters that we kind of outlined. Uh, going away from the central facet of this topic, I really haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at these decks one by one. I have briefly clicked through all of them. And the biggest takeaway for me is just that in general, these decks look like normal decks that you would might run into the top tables of your local chain bound event of like eight people. They, you know, this deck wasn't won by a double time traveler or it wasn't won by the Martian generosity key abduction combo decks that are just like, so obviously above the power curve, which we, I do believe we saw at uh, some of the initial vault tours. So I think that is a very healthy and exciting thing for the game. No, definitely. Like the winning deck, I believe was honk the beneficially topaz. And it is a 91 saturated deck, uh, Brobnar Dish Shadows. And yeah, when you just look at the list, I won't go through it, but it is just, it's kind of like, it's a good deck. It's definitely a very good deck. Obviously, it won a Vault Tour, but it's not like a deck where you're just like, oh my goodness, that looks super, super busted. Like no four routine jobs. Yeah, no four routine jobs. I mean, it's got triple Schuler, which is really good, but Schuler's way more conditional than routine job. Um, there's double nerve blast, bait and switch, finishing blow. Some of you got good steel. You've got a Magda the Rat, one urchin. Yeah, but like the like the numbers, like we said, that were important were the amber control, which it has a fourteen and a half rating, and then the expected amber is a twenty nine and a half, which just means this deck is so fast that it just it asks its opponent, "Can you keep up with me?" And if you can't keep up with me, I have enough amber control to just keep you off of your keys and just stay out in the lead, which is where you want to be. I guess, you know, as we look at the overall scores of these decks and showing that amber control and then how quickly you can generate amber is are the most important things. I think we can maybe finally say that in a game where you have to get amber to forge keys to win the game, that like getting that amber and preventing your opponent from doing what they need to do to win the game is important yes (laughs) (laughs) breaking news forge more keys to win the game stop your opponent from forging keys to continue to win the game yeah no and i mean it's like the thing that we really took away is we started going through in the discord we kind of started listing our decks pulled up alex's the nick of slots his parameters he set up he put a sass rating min of 80 so decks of keyforge allows you to kind of set parameters that you want to search for decks by so you can um, limit it to just your collection and put whatever minimums in you want so he did a sass rating of minimum 80 an arc score of minimum 60 an effective power of 65 minimum expected amber minimum 20 amber control at nine minimum and a deck manipulation of nine minimum Uh, the deck manipulation i've heard it said that if you're at five that means there's a pretty good chance you're going to get through your deck once during the game if you're at 10, you're probably, you've got a chance, you know, to maybe get through 
a time and a half to maybe two times. Like the higher the draw number, the deck manipulation number, the more likely you are to get through your deck and get through it quicker. Did you say the parameter was five minimum or nine minimum? For deck manipulation? He was looking for nine, and I kind of like that too. I like the higher D scores because a lot of decks, you just want to draw through them as quickly as you can to play all the cards. Feels better. No, I, I mean... I definitely agree that's better. I'm just looking back at the mean top 16 and seeing that the D score there was just 5.5. Yep, and Honk was a 4.5. So, I mean, yeah, certainly more is going to be better there. But if we're going based on the actual data we have, a 9 is well overshooting yeah. what the average top 16 deck was. Yeah, I just want to make that clear. Sure, and that was a playstyle choice of his because he likes to play decks that are super, super fast. And so this speeded up draw makes them go even faster. But yeah, those are so, <laughs> I mean, like, like Jake said, I guess this wasn't as complicated as I really thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we need to get John Madden in here. Get some turducken. Legendary football announcer. Score more points to win the game. Oh, so good. Effective Amber and Amber Controller, like the two numbers that you really want to focus on when you're trying to maybe select. So if you're planning on going to that Vault Tour and you're just not sure where to start with selecting your deck, start with those two numbers first. Find your decks that have the highest, like kind of expected Amber plus Amber Control and just look through that list. See if there's any gems in there that you haven't really run yet. See if there is one that you've ran before, but you just kind of fell out of out of favor with it. Try it again, because that's what a lot of people have been doing in our Discord. And people are coming back and going, whoa, with these new parameters we set and like my further understanding of the game, like these decks are really performing now. Really good advice. We're looking at hindsight. So I don't know if we want to get into this, but I'm thinking like taking a step forward, what does this tell us about the meta game as it has emerged? Looking at this top 16, I think how we have to think about the metagame in Keyforge is still something that people don't fully understand, certainly myself included. Because all most people can do is take their experience playing other card games in which, of course, you're building your own deck. And in Keyforge, it's different for obvious reasons. So I just don't know how much people will look at this list and go out and try and find something that counters these decks. Because it just I get the impression more and more that people have a few decks that they really love and are almost going to be taking regardless just because it's a higher power. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. No, I mean, we're finding out more and more that at the highest level, like there's matchups, but like since there's not really eight to 12 decks that you're going to face, and those are the only eight to 12 decks you're going to face the entire day, like you can just run really good at an event with a deck that has no place in the meta, but you maybe just match up really well each game. Um, or you have just like one of the perceived strong meta decks that's kind of steel heavy and fast and maybe you just run into that one dude that's playing all capture dudes with a big sticky board and you just can't get through it and you get wrecked i mean obviously different decks play differently different houses do different things but as we're sort of learning looking at these decks which did have quite a bit of diversity the second place deck didn't have shadows at all, but it was still doing the same type of thing. Like even though it didn't have shadows, it was still a racing oriented deck with good amber control as well. So it's almost like, if anything to me, these results show that the successful decks almost defy house and or archetype. It doesn't really matter how you get there, but at the end of the day, what matters is generating amber quickly 
and hindering your opponent from foraging. No, definitely. Yeah, so the second place one was a Brobnar Sanctum Untamed. I had six and a half amber control, which is a little bit lower, but it has 26 expected amber, uh, zero artifact control, 10 creature control, and one deck manipulation. So again, it's another deck that's not really going to cycle through its deck super quickly, but everything it plays just kind of has an impact. And four Dust Pixies is a lot of Dust Pixies. <laughs> it's interesting to me when, when we think about the meta here, because the decks are similar regardless of their house composition, it's almost like, you know, that makes people even more inclined to play the deck they know is good because it's going to be good in almost, you know, any eventual meta because the decks that are winning are more or less getting there the same way. Yeah. Especially after the nerf to lands, because that was almost the only other viable archetype outside of generating and stealing Amber. Yeah, just getting that off early and just winning the game before your opponent can ever actually play the game. Right. Yep. No, yeah, because again, this deck, again, it's a strong deck, 88 sass, 53 arc, which is actually a little bit lower for an arc, but uh, it's just, it has the tools. It obviously got there. The person that played it piloted it well, got a Vault Keeper to prevent some of that stealing, so they have to at least spend a turn to get rid of the Vault Keeper before they can start stealing again. I'd be interested if people generally agree or disagree, but it feels to me like the almost the only relevant meta call in Keyforge right now as it exists is do you want to play a deck that has artifact destruction and or do you want to play a deck that is reliant upon artifacts to do well yeah i can see that i mean you definitely set yourself up one way or the other because i mean we saw less artifact destruction in this top 16 which might make somebody inclined to bring out you know a grunt buggy proclamation type deck yep. which did do well here um you know so it's like i'm just trying to think like how <laughs> how does this meta work so I, I could see that as being sort of like one avenue for people to express their expectation i think the one number that really sticks out here is the expected amber um average of 25 of the decks that made it to top 16 like all these decks were blazing fast like you just need to I mean, there's there's a couple exceptions. There's one in there with a 10 expected amber. There's one with a 15. And those might actually be the two AOA decks. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know one of them. I know one of them is the AOA deck. Harley is the Proclamation Grunt Buggy deck. That is just like a long grinded out game against your opponent. But it, it did show successful. So maybe that is a place. <laughs> it top forward. How is that not successful? What? I said that, is, that oh, okay. showed to be successful. If you are... Okay, how can I pivot? How can I run counter to do well? You might want to look at uh, these two decks that did perform well despite not fitting in the trends of all the other decks. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Um, again, yeah, the two big numbers, like we said, are pretty much the amber control and the expected amber seem to be the ones that are the largest, like above the average deck score. And so that's the one like all of our uh, Discordians have kind of come together on and realized that that is probably the meat and potatoes of decks really is the amber control and the expected amber, which I guess shouldn't shock any of us. <laughs> As we so eloquently put it before, because I mean, you need amber to win the game. So if you... Man, I think that maybe that should have just been a one step against many amber is good amber is good don't worry about anything but amber don't worry about having like that uber 100 rated sas deck in order to compete at a vault tour find a good 80 something plus deck we've kind of all come to the conclusion in the inner sanctum that 80 plus is a good deck and then if you get the right arc score with that i mean you don't even need dark score if you just have a good 80 something deck that 
generates amber well and controls amber well like you're probably you're probably set up pretty good um go out there get your reps in i think we all kind of said that we like a little bit bigger creature power just to stick to the board a little bit better that tends to win games too and you can just kind of stick a bigger board but uh for the most part yeah just find a deck that you like find a deck with good amber control find a deck with good expected amber and jam those games the game seems to be uh, in a good place if you're somebody who wants to compete and thinks that you can't because of prices of deck that's probably not the right attitude to have it's definitely one that i've had at times and even now i'd still say archon straight up archon is still my least favorite format i really like sealed i really like adaptive things that i think uh can be more skill intensive and testing but for player who is a little bit more skeptical about that format the result at at italy is definitely something that i took to be a huge positive because you know i don't have tons of expensive decks i bought on the secondary market at all but i think i do have one or two that fall within that uh criteria so yeah i'll be exploring those more for sure All right, today's clear mind is another fun rules interaction. Duma the Martyr and various shenanigans. So Duma the Martyr is a Sanctum card. It was a rare in Coda, and I believe it's still around. And he's a three power, destroyed, fully heal each other friendly creature and draw two cards. And our example here is going to be Grenade Snib. So this came up a few weeks ago. We ran out of time in our card evaluation cast to really get to talk about it there, so we moved it. But yeah, now with the new ruling on Archimedes, we know that different effects can interrupt other effects. So where this becomes kind of fun and interesting is, say, something like Grenade Snib is out there. Grenade Snib is a two-powered Brobnar creature that says, destroyed, your opponent loses two amber. So let's set up the scenario that Duma and Grenade Snib are both on the board on your side of the table. Somebody plays an Ammonia Clouds to deal three damage to everything. Uh, Duma and Grenade Snib both have their destroyed triggers go off. If you played the uh, Poison Wave, you get to choose the order of those destroyed triggers. So you can have the Grenade Snib destroyed trigger go first, which would make your opponent lose two amber. Then you'd have Doom of the Martyrs destroyed trigger go off, healing all creatures, so healing up your Grenade Snib. And Duma would then hit the yard and Grenade Snib would stick around. Holy crap, that's crazy. (laughs) Right? Um, You've got that. You've got Dust Imp to burst yourself into some amber and then let's take it one step further say that we have grenade snib duma and then phoenix heart from brobnar you play your ammonia clouds three damage assigned and destroyed effects trigger snib resolved they lose two amber duma triggers heals grenade snib if duma's wearing the phoenix heart duma will go back to your and then the heart will trigger again therefore losing your opponent another two amber for a net loss of four off of one grenade snib going to the yard (laughs) man it's it's the magic player in me but like i love that these confusing and intricate triggers order matter in keyforge now like that's probably a minority opinion but it's just fun you feel like you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing to me that feels great it is fun that's i've been having so much fun recently just playing around with silly combo decks and figuring out how to get them set up to combo off and i've just been having a lot of fun with the game especially with some of these new rulings but yeah, I think that's it. 
final announcements. We have the business cards in. I've sent those out to quite a few people so far, and thanks for sharing pictures that you receive them and everything. Um, hope you guys are enjoying those. If you do want, they look great. Yeah, man. If you want a copy of those, just let us know. We're happy to mail them out to you. The final T-shirt designs. We're still taking some orders on those. So if you're still thinking about it, let us know. Finally, we are doing the Give Me That Gamma deck giveaway. I'll be doing the drawing for that sometime this coming week. So if you have not yet registered, you should still have a couple of days after this episode comes out to get in the drawing. And all the details for that are in our previous episode. Perfect. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, Give Me That Gamma. Let's go. All right. Yeah, you can find me. I'm Dan is someone on Twitter. That's D-A-N-I-S-S-O-M-E in the numeral one. And that is also my Twitch handle. Again, I apologize. There's been no Twitch streaming because Coda is all TCO right now. And I just haven't gotten around to streaming TTS games, but maybe I'll start doing that so you guys can see some of the silly AOA decks that I've acquired. Yeah, I think Tabletop Simulator is way better to watch anyway, so we should definitely get that going soon. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Freed, J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D, and on Twitch as well. Uh, I'm meaning to get my Tabletop Simulator set up this week, and I also just recently picked up Mario Maker 2, so I'm going to be streaming some of that as well. Give me a follow, come hang out, and we will see you next week. Later, you guys. Archons of the Crucible, the new meta is upon us. Age of Ascension has landed. Tabletop Simulator is the Crucible. Join us in the Crucible and forge those keys. Dude, we should, uh, we should, until the Crucible comes back, that should be a bit on Twitter. Archons of the Tabletop Simulator. <laughs> You've got to tweet out, when you tweet out the show this week, that's got to be the title. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds great. All right, man. All right.